Welcome back to Divine Healing by D. Today I have on Courtney Marchesani. She's written the book Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, Awaken the Unlimited Potential of Empaths, Intuitives, and Visionaries. I wish I had this book when I was younger. I wish I could read it because it's definitely something I have dealt with my whole life and I continue to do. And I'm glad that I've made a lot of growth in that area. And I have to say that Reiki and energy healing has helped me with it a lot. And she is basically talking about how sensitivity is a powerful advantage and she provides a pathway to an effective balancing act between highly being highly aware and participating fully in the world without feeling the need to shut down or self anesthetize or just just to avoid pain people or environmental stimulation she talks about the four different types of sensitivity it's really interesting and she talks about how she has her intuition how that helps her basically discover her sensitivity so i hope you guys enjoy this episode it's very information heavy and just it's great for anybody who is tackling their sensitivity or struggling with their sensitivity so here she is courtney marcasani the ch is uh hard like a chianti because it's a italian <laughs> last name um I am um, the author of Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, and I've been doing, you know, um, podcasts and radio shows and things to talk about my book. But, um, you know, my book isn't everything. It's not my end-all and be-all. So right now, one of the things I'm working on that's very interesting is a... um, a 25,000-word essay for the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness about survival of consciousness. Um, How does consciousness survive physical bodily death? So I'm I'm really working hard right now on that because it's got to be in by August 1st. And so most of my days now are just consumed with writing the paper, talking to people who have had near-death experiences or other types of -of out-of-body experiences, psychic experiences, it's all kind of overlapping. And so that's what I'm up to right now, (laughs) which is very interesting. really fun. I'm like, I'm so Yeah, I mean, it gets intense at times because you're talking about death Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, and that can be kind of heavy. But usually the messages from the other side are... Uh, very consistent and about life and what we're doing here and mm-hmm. and the beyond. So that part to me is, you know, the crux between here and beyond is fascinating. So I find that it's it easy is. for me to engage my curiosity and my mind and, you know, asking the big questions. So um, I guess I would say that I'm a person who wasn't a believer and mm-hmm. I came into this world of research through my own uh, experiences, whether that was psychic or seeing loved ones in the afterlife in my dreams or what have you. About 20 years ago, I had a profound shift in my own awareness, and that's what led me on the path to a lot of this research and writing the book and being an advocate for people who are highly sensitive and, and gifted at the same time with abilities. That's, that's great. Do you protect your energy when you're writing? Do I protect my energy? I feel like like I protect my energy all the time. (laughs) I feel like I'm constantly doing energy clearing. Um, From everything from routine self-care, I need more of it Mm -hmm. than most, I would say, because I'm pretty far out on that extreme. 
um, pretty far out on the extreme where I'm very, very sensitive. So I'm always doing the salt baths with Mm -hmm. uh, botanicals and herbs. I'm always asking for help from my ancestors and my, um, you know, in my experience, protection is about clearing energy and knowing that you're bigger than this moment and mm-hmm. having the authority over your own dominion to protect yourself. What do you mean by protecting your energy? What do I mean? I mean, yeah, the topic that you are writing about is pretty heavy and you are connecting to other people and their experiences. And sometimes when you're someone very sensitive, you tend to take on their energy and you might forget if you're not doing it properly, you might forget like who you are in a way. Mm-hmm. So when I say that is mm-hmm. like, if you're writing, well, will you burn some like incense or will you stage your room after every writing session? Oh yeah. Or maybe play oh, yeah. uh, frequencies to clear all or of have those a things. Bowl, all those things. Okay, great. All those things. I like do all I those things. I mean, I don't have know? the singing bowls. I don't have the singing bowls. I wish I did have the bowls, but I oh, do other things where I like, awesome. I clap and, I okay, use good. the um I use the little symbols that they use in yoga, you know, to clear out sound. Beautiful. I do play music when I'm at home. Um I run water. I have a fountain. I'm away from my home right now. I'm at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Um while I'm working on this project uh partially. So I run a water fountain while mm-hmm. I'm here working for clearing. Um and I do burn I do burn sage. I keep some around all the time while I'm here. So I do think it's essential um, to do yeah. those rituals. I mean, that's kind of what I how I was taught. I went through trainings, mm-hmm. many different kinds of trainings about energy clearing. So, yeah, I'm well versed in that. Yeah. I was just curious what you, you know, what <laughs> you were suggesting. Suggesting for you, just clearing your space when you work. Generally mm-hmm. that, but all the time you really should. I'm just, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm getting in my little healer zone. I have to, like, <laughs> advise people what to do. Well, like, we don't usually. It's true, you know. We healers, we don't usually take care of ourselves. You know, we're like, no, we, we give our medicine away to other people. We don't protect our spaces. Yeah. We don't think about that as our first course of action. I mean, of course, the fundamentals mm-hmm. and the tools that you get through all those trainings are essential, but a lot of times we neglect them or ignore them. I mean, I think I write about that a couple different ways in the book where I talk about mm-hmm. how Sensitives feel like it's such a chore, I guess, to attend to our warning sensations or warning symptoms when we've been maxed out, is how I put it, or Mm -hmm. over our sensory threshold. And um, those warning sensations are happening all the time to our mind and body. And we just, because we're so sensitive and attuned, those things come up and crop up all the time in our um, mind and body and we just ignore them you know we neglect them because it feels like it's too much really too much work to attend to it but that's kind of what sensitive people yeah. are known for is neglecting the warning symptoms and then having you know sickness so I'm glad you brought it oh, up because it's a really important <laughs> part of self-care that sensitives need routinely and and when you do that self-care then you don't have those bouts of sickness or you don't get very you true. know hung up as often very true so do you think sensitive souls are more likely to be healers? Yeah, especially yeah. the empath. Mm-hmm. Uh the intuitive empath um is usually one of the classic one of the classic healer types because they are yeah. 
born into a family usually that requires that gift and that skill set. Like the chosen one, there's always, I feel like one child that's especially attuned or a little bit more gifted and they're a little Mm -hmm. bit more awake and they're here to kind of fix the drama in the ancestry. So I think there's always one of those. Yeah, and the parents, yeah, yeah. And the parents usually notice it when the child is a baby. Oh, she was more, she paid more attention or she looked at me more or she seemed to be, um, you know, really uh, watching us more and paying attention to what we were doing. You know, I mean, those babies are, you know, from what most of the parents tell me, are different and they can tell. Yeah. When did you know you were sensitive? Was there anything that happened in your childhood that, were you given extra attention in school, for example, that made no. you say like, oh, hey, I'm a bit different than most kids? No, God, no. No, I think that mm-hmm. I was one of the kids that was beaten into submission. Wow. Um, and I don't mean that in a in any kind of light way. I mean it that mm-hmm. I was shaped and molded into what I was expected to be. So I didn't really yeah. have my o- awakening and my awareness brought into my conscious mind until I was in my 20s when I started to have the profound mm-hmm. experiences. Now, when I looked back, mm-hmm. when I looked back, and looked at the childhood as an adult, I recognized some very, very illuminating patterns early on. The one that I I mentioned the most is that when I was a little girl, I would be, I was very shy, um, Mm -hmm. painfully shy. And so we would go over to my aunt and my uncle's house on the farm in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same same farm, you know, the same family I'm just visiting. But um, when I was little, we would go over to their house on the weekend. We always had, like, family dinners. We still do, actually. The family does. I mean, not as often, but, yeah. So um, I would I would be reticent to go in the house. Mm-hmm. And so my mom would, you know, stand there, and I would stand behind her legs, and I wouldn't want to go in, okay? So the transition mm-hmm. between, like, what I was familiar with um, my own house, my own routine, um, what I was comfortable with, and then going into other spaces was very challenging for me. So I would hide in uh, the hallway. I would hide in boxes. I would, mm-hmm. I would go underneath the table, and wow. you know, after we were done with dinner, and I would cry. I would just cry, you know, and I would, you know, pull on my mom's legs, and and um, you know, they 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 just didn't know what it was. They didn't have right. any idea what it was. And so those are the things that I can relate to as an adult having children myself now that mm-hmm. um, it was a subjective experience that I could definitely say, well, there it is. You know, it was there all along. But I think that because it wasn't ever addressed, um, I had to cope and compensate in other ways and basically like, you know, um, white knuckle through it. So yeah, I didn't know. I wasn't I wasn't conscious about it. And yes, in school I did have um some learning challenges and that was reading. Mm-hmm. Actually reading I read I read very early. I was actually Me entered into too. school when I was when I was only five. Yeah. So I was the youngest wow. kid in my graduating class. And um I didn't struggle with anything in school until um, I got into some difficult math language. That's oh how my I kind God, of look I'm at it as math. 
Yeah, like math for me was like the language that I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that for a while. Um, so those are the things that, you know, kind of, when you ask that question, kind of stand out to me. Wow, we're we're pretty much the same. So I think it was maybe fifth or sixth grade. I was put into this group, and I remember that there are a bunch of these parents touring for their kids, possibly to transfer. And I heard mm. the group teacher say, this is a group for our kids with special needs. And when I heard oh, that, did she really I thought I was, that? it was terrible. I, I like Dear couldn't God. believe, I'm like, how could I? I'm so sorry that you had to yeah, do that. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful for so me. Shaming. And then from then I was just like, there's something wrong with well, me. I'm terrible. I'm not yeah. smart. I'm, it's just, they of didn't course. know how to nurture me. And from then on, I went, I changed schools for high school. And again, I couldn't, oh I couldn't do math like you either. <laughs> I hated math. Oh I couldn't understand. Yeah. And then I had a teacher who, an older lady, a lot of experience. She, she gave me so much confidence. She told me that I was amazing. I was the best I could do it. Just her building me up, my grades changed. Well, I have all to tell you that you were very, mm-hmm. you have the um, fortune of misfortune, <laughs> okay, yeah. because you got yeah. somebody who paid attention to you. Now, I have to say it is very similar, but what was a demarcation point for me was in the state of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, they were doing an experimental uh, an experimental standardized test called the TELS test, T-E-L-S. Okay. So when okay. we went into, you know, fifth well, we were going into six, same as you. From, mm-hmm. So in our transition from fifth to sixth, they get, gave everybody in the state of Pennsylvania the TELS test. And so I took it, right, like everybody else. And right. I feel like I'm, do- I'm done first. I go up. I take it up. I'm really super confident in myself. And I put it down right. on the teacher's desk, and she looks at me. Um, and she says, Courtney, are you sure? I was like, I feel really good about it, right? I feel really good about it. She's like, okay, because, you know, sometimes it's better to take some time. I was like, no, I feel like I I knew the answers. Well, do you know that I failed the TELS test? And so that's what they did. They put me down into remedial math, remedial English, okay? Now, I had been at a a college-level reading at that point, okay, when you look at all my other uh, standardized tests, okay? And my Stanford Achievement Test was at a college level reading okay this is why Mm -hmm. I was entered into school early as a five-year-old so anyway Mm -hmm. my mom went to bat for me with the administrator with the school counselor because they dropped me down into the lowest section and she said this can't be right you know but it did break me in a way that um, I, I never really recovered now I did have teachers who I mean, they tried to work harder with me, you know. They mm-hmm. paid a little bit of attention because they knew what was going on and they knew I was really bright, but for some reason the test wasn't capturing my scholastic abilities. But by mm-hmm. the time, and so then I worked my way all the way back up just in my routine classes, right, back up to the higher section where I was before I got dropped down. And then when I went into high school, I kind of had given up. Right. I had already mm-hmm. started to work at how can I work the system in other ways, right? And use my right. intelligence in other ways to get out of stuff that I felt like I was gonna fail at. And so I was already trying to um 
you know, beat the self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm going to fail. I didn't have a teacher like you did who tuned into me. As a matter of fact, my parents and my mom recognized specifically what was going on because I wouldn't even ask to go to the library anymore with her. I mean, the library was where I lived, right, where we would go and get books and new books, and I would have be, you know, exposed to everything that was outside of our home, which was mainly like National Geographics and things that were given to us as gifts. Um, you know, subscriptions and things. And my uncle and my aunt, God love them, would send me um, books. So I would go to the mailbox and wait for those books to come every month. It must have been like a book of the month club for kids. And and in those so books, I was exposed, you know, to a whole new world outside of my little mm-hmm. farm life in Pennsylvania. But anyway, my point being, my mom got me a tutor. Mm-hmm. It was probably in 10th grade. His name was Mr. Ufalasi. And... Um, Mr. Ufalasi was a, a great math teacher, according to a lot of folks. So he and I would mm-hmm. go to the library, actually. And he would, we were doing algebra one time, and I remember this. It's a very specific memory I have about Mr. Ufalasi. We're sitting there, and I'm doing algebra, and he's like, Courtney, you're a genius. You're a genius. He's like, but mm. sometimes the way you, 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 you do your problems, it's like you're stupid. Mm. And so... I, as a, ten, as a 10th grade year old, you know, whatever I was, yeah. I was young already. So I was already, you know, the youngest in my class. So I was probably, what, 13, 13 yeah. 14. I heard that. And, of course, I only clung on to, you're stupid. You're stupid. And I didn't mm-hmm. hear the genius part because I didn't know how those two things could could coexist. Um, but what he was trying to say, because my husband's an engineer and I told him that story later, he was <laughs> like, what he was trying to say is you knew the math. You knew the math. For some reason, yeah. and somehow you knew the math. I was like, well, I know. And that's why at times I felt like it was very fluid for me. But then I realized many years later after college, after everything, when I kind of did the postmortem on all my educational experience that I had right. anxiety. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I had test anxiety. Nobody knew it. I mean, my mom started to figure it out as she saw me doing so great and excelling in the classwork. And then when I would take the test, I would bomb it. <laughs> you know, so oh, obviously you would vomit? A, my a, nose would yeah. bleed. <laughs> my nose yeah, would well, see, that's bleed. the thing is when you get so anxious with stress because you haven't been taught how to relax and calm your mind, right, or how to yeah. answer questions, right? I mean, we had different other testing uh, preparations like the PSAT where you go to classes and learn how to take the test and how to take the test in a way that you, you know, wouldn't spend too much time on things. And so I remember all that. But for whatever reason, when it came down to the math, my brain just shut down because I was so anxious over it and I just couldn't do it. So, yes, we have a lot in common. And I think that if you have a teacher that believes in you, like you said, Mm -hmm. and built you up and and built your confidence, that's a game changer. If you have somebody who doesn't necessarily how to to do that, it can be a deal breaker. Yeah, God bless Mrs. Dubon. That was her name. But I I was I know. I'm sending a prayer to her right now. God bless her. I know. She's awesome. God bless her. I was reading when I was two years old, and then I got tested to skip kindergarten, but my mom said, you know what, because she's also born in the half of the year, I'm an August baby, and Me she's too. too sensitive. Oh, nice. Virgo? Uh-huh. Or Oh, my gosh. When's your birthday? August 28th. Stop it. I'm August 29th. Wow. <laughs> and my dad's the 28th. 
Oh my gosh. I know wow. a lot of August 28th babies. A lot. I know a lot of August babies and, and have friends and definitely have friends. It's so interesting because I've been doing these podcasts, you know, for the book publication tour, and a lot of the people that I've been talking to are also Virgos, Virgos and a lot of those Virgos are also INFJ. So it's so interesting how, you know, um, we um, are connected. And that we're so connected. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah the story is you start to realize your story isn't um you start to realize your story isn't a singular story. You start to realize your no, story encompasses not. a whole group of individuals' life experience. And so mm-hmm. it's nice when you share it because you realize you know you're not alone. I know. That's why I was so drawn to talk to you. I was like, I really have to speak to you because I feel like you could just understand me because I suffered with my sensitivity for a long time. But I wanted you to like tell us like some great tips on how to see your sensitivity as an advantage. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I just knew. That's where I that's where I go with the book. Did you read the book? Did you did you get the the um the PDF or the book from the uh, the publicist? I did. I did. Good. I did. I did. I connected to a lot of it. Great. Yes. Well, I think that's yes. one of the reasons why I wrote the book is for individuals who might think they're sensitive to read it and figure out if it's a helper. It's a helping tool. Yeah, and I love how you connect it to not just like sensitivity, the general definition of like sensitivity, but we also kind of discuss like, you know, being an empath and maybe possibly like having some kind of like psychic or like healing abilities. Like, I really think that's important because oh, yeah. I think they're both really connected. Like, I always knew I was sensitive, but now yeah. I know why I'm sensitive because I'm supposed to be somewhat of a healer and supposed to like notice things that most people don't. Like, I'd enter a house and I'd feel like I want to throw yeah. up, but I never knew what that meant. Now I know. So it's yeah. really, really just like, oh, yeah. It's such a relief that, like, I know. It's helpful. It, it is yeah. helpful. It is helpful to know that you're you were born, um, yes, different. Different. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where I kind of get with it. You know, with the end of the book, like, okay, we can mm-hmm. all agree we're different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in unique ways, but those ways are beautiful ways. And they are to help our communities. They are to help others a lot of times. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's not. Sometimes it's to advance uh, advance in other ways. But for the healer, mm-hmm. like you're talking yeah. about, most definitely. <laughs> and there's um, there's a theme that's been coming up recently that I, I wanted to share with you um, in my Please. own research. And um, you know how synchronicities work. You know, where oh, things just come them. up and they keep coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah, and they're usually yeah. positive. It's usually when you're working on something, right, or you're struggling yeah. with something sometimes. You'll get <clears throat> synchronicities mm-hmm. to kind of, like, lead you on. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody was saying something to me recently about space, the space on okay. the earth, and how, um, you know, there's only so much space to live and, and mm-hmm. breathe, and, you know, these are realities. But then they were treading into this other area that I specifically wanted to share with you about the space, how empaths take up that space in their homes, in their work, when they're with other people in a very positive way, that they bring more light through them. Mm-hmm. And it's more esoteric, a uh, more esoteric yeah. idea. Um, oh, it was an artist. It was a woman talking about artistry and how artists are healers. 
and oftentimes empaths. And so those empaths are here, and if they're artists too, to bring light in their communities where they live and where they work and breathe. And I was really able to resonate with that. I think it's true. And other people that I was also um, comparing it to were talking about the light and the dark, right? And mm-hmm. how people who are born that are sensitive, when they're empaths, are part of that light spectrum to bring yeah. light and embody that wherever they are for their community. So, you know, you're you're right. You know, it's uh, it's a matter of being validated, right? And knowing that, mm-hmm. that you feel different and you know you have a purpose, but it's also good to know from a community standpoint that you're needed. Yeah. It's important to feel needed and it's important to feel valued and accepted as well. Mm. Like indigo children. Also, I watched a documentary on that. I thought that was so interesting because they're also labeled very sensitive and strange in schools. They don't know who they are. Are you, like, familiar with them? Are you one? (laughs) I think indigo children um, in the, yeah, early 2000s when I was doing my search about all of this stuff and the the spectrum, essentially, of abilities because I had abilities and I didn't know why. But mm-hmm. there was no doubting anymore that I did because it happened and there was witnesses. I mean, I prevented a fire in a three-story building in Seattle. I predicted a couple times danger and that came about. And so I started to see that pattern, right, reflect in my reality very, wow. very much like evidence. So I started to understand, not understand, I didn't understand. I was starting to research why. Why is this mm-hmm. happening? Why is mm-hmm. it happening to me? Why do I seem to have this uh, precognitive ability, if if you want to put a word on it, right? Yeah, and um, and then so uh, indigo children came up because that was a researcher, not heavily, but heavily uh, discussed at the time. So that's how I came. Sure enough, there was a group of children. And so then I started to look into the, uh, the Waldorf schools and Rudolf Steiner and his work with mm-hmm. uh, special children at the, um, you know, he started the Waldorf school at a, um, you know, when he was do he was asked to do it for a company. It was mm-hmm. a, uh, a tobacco company and he started a school for their workforce. And that's when he started the whole anthroposophic uh, philosophy in schools. And so that's how I came mm-hmm. to it in Indigo Children and then Crystal Children. Um, most of those kids were associated or were, were seeking out Rudolf Steiner schools in the U.S. because their parents wanted them to have a unique school experience where they were basically like catered to so that their uh, teachers could meet them where they were in their development and psychic development. Well, although it wasn't taught in mm-hmm. the school curriculum. Okay. It wasn't taught yeah. in the school curriculum. It wasn't negated either. Like the teachers recognized if those type of spontaneous um, abilities came in the classroom, because that means that it was all part of the child and the child's development. So at least it was uh, available, right? Like it was a, it was recognized. Uh, it certainly wasn't shunted or negated or whatever. Right. I mean, there was a space for that. So that's how I came to the Indigo children world was when I was researching the abilities. Who has them? Why? And um, I came to Rudolf Steiner. So I was reading Rudolf Steiner's work on and off for like 20 years. 
wow. trying to understand his own process because he <laughs> saw, well, he saw, I mean, I research everything. I try to, yeah. <laughs> anything that you comes to, to me, yeah. I try to understand. Yeah. Well, who came before and what happened in their mm-hmm. lifetime? And, you know, it's good to take a historical perspective. So Rudolf Steiner saw saw yeah. beings. You know, he had what they would call hallucinations now where he would spontaneous um, beings appear. And, um, He'd you know, also so he knew right? that children. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he talked about the philosophy of of um, science and spirituality, you know, was his thing. And he wanted to pioneer uh, a branch of um, medicine, essentially, as a doctor that included science and spirituality. That's essentially Rudolf Steiner's, um, you know, whole point of his being in a nutshell. And other people have tried to do the same thing. You know, like Carl Jung, he was a famous uh, Swiss psychiatrist. He also tried to take physics and combine it with uh, the soul of uh, psychology, you know, and blend them in a way that would make science converge with spirituality. So I went from the beginning um, and just kept digging, trying to understand who these people were, why they were passionate about what they were passionate about, and helped individuals mm-hmm. like us through their work. Oh, I love that. I love all of that. Have you done a lot of uh, past life connection research? I've done a lot of research on past life, and mm-hmm. one of the people that really did an amazing job researching was at a Duke. It was uh, Ian Stevenson. He okay. studied children, and um, you know, he their parents would sometimes notice when ch- their children were born that they had these unique um, stories, or they recognized themselves yeah. as someone else. And so he he worked out of Duke and published and wrote a book. And so I I read all of his work. Um, he wrote a great book that I always recommend to people. You can find it on um, Amazon uh, where he talks about his studies at Duke. Um, so, yeah, I do talk and have researched a lot about reincarnation because we, we find here in the Western world that it's not really, um, you know, it's not accepted. And especially because our, we're mostly... Uh, you know, Judeo-Christian, it's um, mm-hmm. it's part of that, uh, you yeah. know, popularity of that belief system. But I think as you see things, um, and there's a lot more of scientific research into it, I think there will be, it'll, it'll be made life-changing for people to realize um, that those systems have always been there, especially in the East, yeah. right, in Buddhist thought and in Hinduism Absolutely. and um, you know, there's just an acceptance that the um, the personality after a transformation, once it passes, comes back. And so that's there in Eastern traditions and uh, Eastern thought. So like the like the Dalai Lama, you know, they have a whole yeah. system of, of tests set up when he gets reborn that they ask him and only he's going to know. And that he will have the memory instilled within when, when he's born to be able to recognize his items from his other lifetime. So that's how they basically test to find, to find him. So yeah, I've done a bunch of studies. (laughs) I've read Raymond Moody. I've talked with individuals who have had NDEs and, and compare and contrast their stories and what they, what they come back and how their life changes. And so, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, that's what I'm doing right now for the Bigaloo Institute of Consciousness is to write my competitive paper about all of that. So it'll be interesting to see other people who have, you know, done research on near-death and afterlife or pre-life and what their arguments they're making in their research to show that it's real phenomenon. It's so interesting. I always wondered if they're like past, if someone has like a lot of past lives and they, you know, make it a goal or mission to remember them in this life, like does that contribute to their sensitivity or are they more sensitive because they've had so many different lives that were probably stressful or hard? Like I always wondered that the more I looked into it. I've had atheists, I've had atheists, outright mm-hmm. people who do not believe in, in any of this stuff we're talking about. Not that they negate sensitivity, okay? They can they recognize that there are people that have different qualities of sensitivity, but they don't believe in an afterlife. They're not even agnostic. Mm. They're just like, no. I've had them tell me, theoretically, if yeah. there is, right? If there is a pre-life existence and this mm-hmm. is just a passage, this life, to the ne- next, and this is a place for evolution, and, you know, that whole idea about spiritually evolving here on this planet, that the one way they could kind of conceive of it is because of abilities or talents that come through from other lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm glad for to hear some that. reason, makes cognitive sense to them that if there's no other proof, this one Mm -hmm. aspect of talent, right? Like Da Vinci, you know, or Mozart, or these amazing, incredibly gifted people who have talent, inborn talent, that they've told me that that's one way that I could believe that there's something there. But otherwise, no, there's nothing. So, yes, I do believe that there is a pre-life memory. And the reason why mm-hmm. is because it seems that people who see themselves, whether it's a dream or a regression mm-hmm. or um, or a near death, they seem to be able to recognize health singularly, uniquely, that they recognize their pre-life body uh, as themselves. They look different. Mm-hmm. They're doing different things. Um, but they recognize themselves or they reckon hands or they recognize the type of works that they're doing. It's thematic somehow to the things that they're doing in this lifetime. And so I think that's evidence. You know, when you have images that come through in a way that you recognize yourself from another time period and that time period reflects things that you could never know or through your sensory right. awareness, you're able to feel feel the antiquity of the situation. That to me is an, is evidential. Now, there's a lot of people discard that and say, well, the mind is very creative. Maybe the person is just overly creative. I I don't think so. That's where I make the distinction. How could they see themselves in a pioneer Western town being shot, you know, with a, you know, with a certain caliber or certain, I mean, yes, we are creative and imaginative, but not with those kind of specifics. So those exactly. when, that's when it kind of falls along certain lines. And for me, it delineates time periods and where they were and who they were with. And then they recognize people that they're with as their uh, relatives. And so mm-hmm. the one thing that I think that we can rely on or agree on, regardless of what belief system is um, operating, is that we have ancestors. You know, we were born here from people who are our ancestors. And so our ancestors are the one thing that we know. 
and that we can rely on, regardless of faith of God or belief in a higher power. We know the ancestors exist because they brought us in, and you can follow your lineage. So for the most part, most people can. Um, Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things are my arguments for, um, you know, for pre-existence and for talents, because you do see people who seem to have certain skill sets when they come in or or they develop a very rich system of skills over the course of their life. But yeah, I think that your um your statement that sensitive people seem to have a little bit more of that, it's um mm-hmm. it's I don't think it's tabula rasa. I mean that's what I was taught. <laughs> the blank slate. I don't think yeah. we're just blank slates anymore. We're I mean not. but that's what I was taught. That's why I was very atheistic for a while. I was. Wow. I was an atheist. I just believed that this is it here and now. And that's kind of what you're taught in psychology with the scientific method. I mean, a lot of people don't think psychology is scientific, but it really is. It's all about it the really brain. Is. It's all about behavior. I mean, in the 90s, they called it the decade of brain research because that's what we did. And so, you know, they didn't start really even including the mind-body until I was getting my bachelor's uh, degree in 99. They just started talking about the mind body. I knew there was. I mean, in, I didn't conceive of it as a spiritual connection, but I conceived the mind body as a therapeutic connection. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting how my own sensitivity has, has helped me along the way, right? Through intuition yeah. and intuitive thought processes and certain, um, I guess, my awakening, I would say. Uh, into who I really was after I went through a period of uh, a couple of things tra- trauma. I mean, that's the only way that I can describe it, as I went through a horrible divorce. Mm. And through that divorce, I think that when I was myself or single, I was a single mom for a few years there. I uh, I came back to who I really was. You know, I kind of collected. And so that's what I attribute the awakening to is me really actually becoming my true self. That's amazing. I just didn't know my true self was psychic. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you haven't had that experience your whole life up to your 20s, it becomes pretty uh, shocking. And then, but then it also becomes empowering in a way, the way I experienced it anyway. It was life-saving for me several times and saved lives of others. So that I started to really go, all right, this is me. It has to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people wanted to maybe attribute it to supernatural causes, like, well, that's God, right, working through you. Mm -hmm. But I was still on the fence at that time. So. I was looking mainly into how does this happen? And I and then I started to, you know, believe um my belief system started to change based off my personal experience. That's how I would describe wow. it. So that's a pretty unique, you know, way of coming at it. Yeah, so I guess we could conclude that if we really embrace our sensitivity, we could actually live our best life. Well, you become who you really are, I think when you, you become start to who recognize you are. it. Yeah, you start to recognize your essence. You start to have experiences that um, tune you you into who you really are. I had to deal with kind of the um, intrapsychic crises of, you know, why that all happened. Why was I compensating so much? Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it happens whereas when you finally do accept it and you do accept the sensitivity, you don't have to compensate as much. No, you, don't you don't have to hide as much. You don't have to no. be as 
I don't know, as protective, you know, as you yeah. normally would of what you say, what you do, the things you share. It mm-hmm. becomes so much more fluid when you are who you are and you and you walk in that so way. True. It's really freeing. Courtney, this was an amazing talk. Can you tell everybody where to find you, get your book? Well, I'm online. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, I have a I have a website. It's Inspired Potentials. That's the website. I don't, uh, you know, suggest people go searching for my name because it's a hard name to spell. So Inspired Potentials <laughs> is the best way to find me because phonetically the name is difficult. But uh, for anybody who is interested in the sensitive gifts, the four gifts that I delineate, intuition, empathic, expressive, visionary. If you're curious, if you are one of these sensitive individuals who um, displays the gifts, then you can take the test. So that's the thing that I usually um, suggest people to do if they're on that path. Am I a sensitive? Am I a gifted sensitive? How do I know? You take the test and then I'll send you an email and I score every test individually so that you get um, accurate results. I think that I learned through that whole standardized testing thing that (laughs) Um, to be careful, right? To be careful and to look at things very carefully. Very, very true. Thank you again so much. I'll be in touch with you, okay? Have a great rest of your day and weekend. Thanks, you too. Take care, bye. Have you guys heard of Rakuten? It's where you can shop all your favorite stores online and make money. Yeah, you can make money. I have made thousands of dollars Granted, I've been on it for a while, but if you're someone who's an online shopper, you need to sign up right now. And you can use my invite link. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N dot com slash R slash Divina 141. Rakuten dot com slash R slash Divina 141. Happy shopping and make some money. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to give you a friendly reminder. If you like what you're listening to, if you like my content, if you like my podcast episodes, I really appreciate ratings on Apple, reviews, subscribe, share to your friends, family, anyone you really think would benefit it. And thank you always for the support.